My scripture this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses, get ready, 1 through 21. And everybody's going, oh, no, here it comes. I promise it'll go fast. Not really, but we'll see. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and res residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs and in our own language we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say to you. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. When I was a teenager, this was one of my favorite passages of scripture. One, because it was weird. You got tongues of fire alofting upon people's heads, and they all start speaking in different tongues. I always thought that was really cool. Two, I just thought it was weird because for once, it seemed like everyone from every single country, everywhere around the world, came to one place, and they all got along. Even in spite 
of their differences. Now, as a teenager, this really meant a lot to me. I mean, I don't know about you because I know most of you had a perfect uh, teenage years. I know none of you had the moments where you felt uh, like in doubt of, of how you looked or the fact that maybe your hair didn't, uh, wasn't the best hairstyle or maybe none of you had any of the problems trying to get a girlfriend and realizing every time you asked them and they told you no, that it wasn't your fault, they just didn't like you. That's all there was. I mean, none of you had that problem any whatsoever at all. All of you had a perfect teenage lifestyle and everything that you did made sense. And none of you were uncomfortable with your being. Liars. I think if we're being true to ourselves when we look at our faith and we talk about this story of Pentecost, we have to see it in the way that the disciples were in the midst of the uncomfortable. They were new in their faith. Teenagers, if you will, trying to figure out what's going on with their body. They're trying to figure out who they are, their own personality, their own identity. And in the midst of it, <clears throat> God has decided, let me make it more complicated. And I'm going to put tongues of fire on your head. And the part about speaking in tongues really did feel like teenagers. Because half the time I don't understand what they're saying anyway. So it's, it's kind of this beautiful story, and you're probably going, well, Josh, it's a Pentecost story, right? It's the birth of the church. Well, yeah, but you have to start someplace. I love the language of this story. I love the way that Luke writes this story in the sense of, and the church, Theophilus, you know, I told you about all of this stuff in chapter 1. You should see what takes place in chapter 2. It's as if he's trying to outdo himself because the crowd is amazed and astonished and perplexed. I mean, he's using these humongous words to describe a rush of a violent wind. And then all of a sudden, everybody has this happen. Brilliant. I also like the fact that Luke has, it's your very first example of mansplaining of all time. It's as if he didn't make it sense enough. He's like, and by the way, just in case you didn't know, there were all of these people in Jerusalem at the same time. You are all supposed to know that it's a cosmopolitan city. But no, 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 Luke decides to list every single one of the cultures. He's like, Egyptians, Parthians, Medes, Phrygians, uh, Pontus, uh, Romans, uh, Jews, Greeks, free. And he takes two whole verses so that for centuries all of us have to learn how to pronounce those names. It's, it's, it's hilarious to me that he does that. It's, it's as if he's trying to make sure you understand that at that moment and in that place, not only did the church begin, but the Holy Spirit began to take effect in the world. Not just with the eleven, who somehow were in Jerusalem at that exact moment in time. 
I think it's also important for us to recognize that he, he points out the fact that, no, we're not drunk. We're just filled with this moment. Peter, right? Now, I know I talk kind of down about him a lot, but let's, let's really look into Peter. Peter, as I always try to say, is, is that he is us, right? He is, he is the teenager in the faith. He's impulsive. He's passionate. He's trying to make sense of these things. He, he asks questions. Sometimes it's the wrong question, but most of the time he's, he's trying. And I don't think that in this story, a, 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 a tongue of fire alofted above his head, I think it was a light bulb. And it's like all of a sudden he goes, don't you remember what we learned in Sunday school all those years ago? Don't you remember our moms talking about the prophet Joel? And, and, and you remember how cool that story was about Joel? This is that moment. And we're all watching this happen right in front of us. That is something to be amazed at. I think sometimes we tend to uh, downplay Pentecost-like moments or spirit-filled moments. We don't recognize them or we don't actually acknowledge them like we should. Uh, when, when we hear of beautiful prayer gatherings that take place that are, are real, because uh, there are no other explanations as to why people all of a sudden break down and go into prayer or why people do the things they, they do in the name of God. Uh, I mean, we, we really can't question it. Uh, there is, however, kind of a barometer, right? Like you can recognize if it's really a, a God spirit thing, if it benefits the world with God's love. didn't say this in the 815 service, and I really should have. In this moment, the Spirit of God has come into this place to change the world out of God's love through Jesus Christ. And, and you want to know your proof? Well, Luke gives it to you by giving you names of all of the cultures that were fighting against each other. All the cultures that decided that, that this God was not the real God, that this person was not the real person, and for some reason they heard God's deeds of power. And it doesn't say they were disbelieving. It said they were amazed and astonished and perplexed. Like, what does this mean for me today? It's as if for the very first time they heard God speaking to them. It's for the first time in their entire existence they finally were able to have an interpreter explain how God can and will and does do things in their life. I know... Sometimes in our existence in faith and Christianity, we, we find ourselves in places that we need an interpreter. That we need help 
with trying to explain our faith. It's, it's frustrating sometimes. I think a, a good example would be is, uh, how many of you have ever been out of country in a place that they don't speak English? And, and, and were you able to speak their language? No, no, most of us are probably not. I, I remember when I was in seminary, uh, I, I had this opportunity to go to Nicaragua. And the, the funny thing about uh, Spanish is, is that it's regional. And I, and I say that I'm half-lingual, like I'm not uh, bilingual. Like I, I know enough Spanish to get me out of trouble. And then when I was in Nicaragua, I found out it got me into trouble. So we, we get to Nicaragua and we go to this great place and, uh, and it's the, the, the kind of the center, uh, the, the capital, it's not the capital, Managua is the capital, but we went to this town called Leon. And it was created by Spanish conquistadors and, uh, and, and, and it's got this beautiful basilica and uh, the seminary is right there, uh, well it was then, and there's this big beautiful uh, courtyard there where there's a whole bunch of uh, people selling stuff from the from their little um, carts and all of this stuff, and I'm really downplaying it. I, it. It was beautiful. And they had all kinds of cool things that you could get and see and all this stuff. But they knew that American tourists were coming. And, and they know that what we like is T-shirts, right? Like we, we, we do. We just like T-shirts. Every country that I've been in, I bought T-shirts, one for myself, two for my kids. Uh, my wife will never let me wear, uh, never let me buy her a t-shirt. But my kids always get, I went to Israel and all my dad got me was this t-shirt thing, you know. So I'm in Nicaragua, I want a t-shirt. So I go to one of the vendors and, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and, uh, and I learned Spanish from uh, Mexicans from California while I was in Washington State. That's another sermon for another day. When I moved to Greenville, Texas, I found out that Tejanos speak uh, Spanish way different than people from California. In Nicaragua, it's a different dialect completely. So I walk up to her and I say, uh, I, I, I want a t-shirt. Uh, and I said, uh, I, and, and, she, and I thought I was being funny and I said, Omarosa Gaudita. And she looks at me and she starts blushing, which in my said, I'm a fluffy guy. Gabriel Iglesias, a, a, a Hispanic-speaking comedian, says, Omarosa Gordita. I, I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm fluffy. I'm thinking I'm being funny. She blushes. The lady around the cart starts blushing. She, they start having this conversation. And, they're, and I'm like, what's going on? And, and, and then I have no idea what I have said. And then the interpreter comes running as fast as she possibly can as she's going, what did you say to them? I just said, Omarosa Cortita. And she goes, oh, Josh. The short version is, it didn't mean what I thought it meant. Omarosa can mean love. And I just said, I love you a lot. But not in the good way. And then she, and I said, I just need a really big t-shirt. And she says, no problemo. And I got my big t-shirt. I think sometimes in our own existence, we think that we're saying one thing, but what they hear is something completely different. 
And even as church, we say these things in a good way, thinking we're meaning it in all the right ways and love and compassion, but really what somebody else hears is it could make them blush. It could hurt their feelings. And we have to be careful of how we approach what God has put upon our hearts. You remember the barometer. If it's about God's love in the name of Jesus Christ, you'll, you'll know. You'll know the difference. You'll, you'll feel it when you, you see somebody that needs some food and you just give it to them without even knowing that you gave it to them. Maybe it's someone that you know that needs a phone call or just a card and you just send it and you don't even think about it. It just, it just happens. Maybe it's a family member that you haven't talked to in 20 years, but you need to call them. All of a sudden, something switches inside of your brain and it says, you have to do this. Maybe, just because it's that time of year, maybe it's saying, I don't know if I can do vacation Bible school, but I'm going to try. Maybe, maybe it's about helping out being a deacon and realizing that it's not just about serving communion and taking up the offering. Maybe it's recognizing that God has moved us in different ways, that you're hearing the dreams and you're feeling the visions and you're not acknowledging it. Why? Because we've become apathetic and scared. We've gone past amazed. We've gone past astonished. And we're afraid. The Holy Spirit comes from God, from the outside. The word is anathon, from above. That's why every single picture you see of the Holy Spirit is like a dove ascending from heaven, descending from heaven. The Holy Spirit always points us to the salvific work of Christ. Always, always. And the Holy Spirit transforms and unites people. Sometimes we have to get out of the way of our own words and allow God to speak on our behalf. And then we get to sit back and watch and be amazed and astonished and perplexed at the work of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes it requires a little thought about what you might want to say about stewardship.
every time you're in this position. Um, I'll just give you a little of my experience of kind of what I feel like I've gone through over the years. First, it requires learning the concept of stewardship. And then progressing to the point that you really understand Then it requires a decision about what are you going to do about it? And then it requires the courage to execute that decision. And somewhere in that process, I realized that within there somewhere, it's going to require a little planning to be able to execute your decision.